Hello, listeners, and welcome to the Maroon Weekly. I'm Pravon. And I'm Greg. We've got a lot of news for you this week. But first, how are you? How are you doing? I am doing pretty well. Uh, it was nice to have respite from the cold last week, although it was short-lived. It's what it's slated to snow later today, and I think early next week, which I'm not looking forward to. And it's also fifth week, of course, midterms. Um, but it's not all bad. You know, it's spring, and it'll be here soon enough. What about you? I similarly have been spending a lot of time outside. Uh, yesterday, I went gardening with my house and. A lot of this week has been just doing homework on the quad instead of in my room or in the library. So I'm, I'm really grateful for it. It is 47 degrees currently right now, but, you know, what's life without a little bit of variation? Yeah. All right, I will take the first story, which is on the development of the library. Certain books in the UChicago library system have been discovered to contain toxic chemicals in their binding. Many antique books from the mid-18th century contain the pigment Paris Green, which is made primarily of arsenic and has the tendency to dislodge flakes of arsenic at a very high rate, often many times more than OSHA regulations, per a University of Delaware study on poisonous books. Full-time library staff were notified of this discovery on March 31st via an email which included planning and solutions to avoid harm, such as increasing book handling training and quarantining potentially poisonous books until further testing can be done. However, undergraduate workers were not notified of the problem until a staff member posted a sign in the Regenstein book stacks. Many see this as part of a broader neglect for student workers' well-being in the library. Students and staff members interviewed for the article say that student workers don't get much of a voice in workplace conversations, are underrecognized for their contributions, and in this case are not kept up to date about the internal goings-on at the library. The article by Catherine Weaver is available on the Maroon website. I feel like this has implications not just for student workers, but really anyone who's in the library. For sure. Granted, I you know I haven't read the study. You mentioned flaking. I don't know, you know, if that has an effect on me just sitting near the book stacks or or you know wherever these have been found. Are they just in the book stacks or have they been found elsewhere? Um, I think the article hasn't said. Okay. But the 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 sign itself, which is sort of how undergrad workers were sort of notified that is in the book stacks. So I would assume if it was not in the book stacks, there would be signs there as well. Uh, but in the event that any of you are handling these books, uh, the, the sign has some safety tips, which are of, in general avoiding ingesting anything or touching your face for a while, or if, touching your face while handling 19th century books, wearing nitrile gloves and washing your hands after using the books. So hopefully, hopefully everyone can stay safe and the latest, latest book epi- epidemic <laughs> can go its, go its own way. Yeah. One thing that uh, that the library uh, that that's one thing that's important uh, that the article mentioned is that student library workers here have unionized, which was something I did not know. I last year I worked at the library, and I, I uh, granted I didn't work with the 1840s 1850s books that are the concern of this article. Uh, but I would say I, I I did have a good relationship with my supervisor, but and, and you know my job was not very was was fairly minimal um, compared to other student workers' jobs. But I will say like there was a little bit of of a uh, of a gap between like what my supervisor's supervisor was saying and and, um, and what I was actually receiving. Not that it really affected my job, 
but I, I can see how, uh, how many student workers with the more involving position could be unsatisfied. All right, Greg, we'll go to you next for a story of the med school. Right. So the Pritzker School of Medicine announced on Wednesday that it will offer full tuition scholarships to up to half of all incoming students starting in fall 2023. This is certain to make a significant impact. Per the press release, more than 90% of current Pritzker students receive partial financial aid, and about 40% have been supported through full tuition scholarships or grants. The news comes after Mark Anderson, the Dean of Pritzker, Executive Vice President for Medical Affairs, and Dean of the Biological Sciences Division, told the Maroon in fall 2022 about his goal of reducing medical school tuition and student debt ahead of the medical school's centennial in 2027. A 2018 analysis by the Association for American Medical Colleges found that almost a quarter of medical students in the United States come from the top 5% of the country's wealthiest households. Pritzker's new Pritzker Phoenix cur curriculum will also debut this fall, with the first cohort of students on the curriculum set to graduate in 2027. Per the release, the new curriculum will increase students' access to clinical opportunities beginning their first year, while also providing time for self-directed learning, research opportunities, and community engagement. Additionally, the new curriculum will give students more time to study for the Step 2 of the U.S. Medical Licensing Exam, which has become increasingly important for matching into residency programs after the USMLE Step 1 became pass-fail in 2022. For the full details, see Anu Vashit's article on the Maroons website. Yeah, it's a great thing. And it reminds me of something the NYU Langone Health, I'm, I'm looking it up right now. Um, they did something similar. So that's NYU's medical school, I'm assuming. Um, and apparently they award full tuition scholarships to all current students and future matriculated students. I'm not sure when this announcement was from. I remember re reading about it a few years ago. So I guess it was in... Um, 2018, 2019, around then. Um, and yeah, so it announced that it would cover the full tuition cost for all medical students, regardless of need. Um, I'm sure there are more details to that, but you know, it, I'd like to see more of this. I think, uh, you know, obviously cost factors in a lot to what people pursue. And I don't really see a downside to this. I... I don't plan to go to med school, but uh, I do know a couple people who do, and th this this information might convince them to come back to U Chicago to uh, and get their their medical degrees here. But I don't know. That's that's a long time ahead of now, um, and hopefully we'll we'll see we'll see how how this pans out in the long term. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see if we'll see other institutions do uh, similar or programs or have similar like discounts I guess yeah next we'll come back to me for a story on the new dean of college Melina Hale a professor in the department of organismal biology and anatomy and a vice provost of the university will be replacing John Boyer effective July 1st who John Boyer is stepping down after being dean since 1992 1992 incidentally was the year Hale got her bachelor's degree in zoology at Duke which was followed by a biomechanics PhD here at UChicago in 1998. Hale has been on the UChicago faculty since 2002 and received the Wayne C. Booth Graduate Student Prize for Excellence in Teaching in 1994. Some initiatives she has been involved in include a task force to utilize creative media and STEM education, an initiative to better integrate Meridi faculty into the institution, 
and various projects bolstering environmental research and sustainability, budget modernization, and administrative system improvements. The article by Austin Seglis is available on the Maroon website. I will say uh, this is an exciting transition period. Uh, Dean Boyer has been around for such a long time that it's like a fixture. It's, you know, everyone everyone knows something about him, whether it's his his infamous polar bear run, Juan Cuvia, or his biking all around the quad. You've probably seen him. Greg saw him last week. Um, and I, it, it will be a little sad to see him go, but at the same time, I'm looking forward to what Dr. Hale will bring to the table. Yeah, she does. She certainly has big shoes to fill. And I was thinking when I um, first read this or read this story that, you know, I realized that the university has been undergoing a lot of administrative changes in the past, um, I guess, few years. Right. So we got a new president. We also got a new provost and now we're getting a new dean. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't have any like I, I'm only a second year, so I don't know what campus culture was like you know, when Carter Carter's a fourth year, you know, before, prior to 2021. But it'd be interesting to hear from, I guess, Carter. I wish you were here or um, other fourth years um, just to you know hear their perspectives on how campus has changed um, as a result of these administrative changes or if it's changed at all. Yeah, it's true. I do feel like there's uh, all the time there's a new email saying so-and-so person has has sat down and, and we're getting a new position to fill their shoes. And like you said, I don't know how much of a difference it's actually made to campus culture, um, but I'm sure there will be there will be certain certain changes that we'll notice going forward. I mean, I, I can't recall a time that I've ever interacted with like an administrative person. I, honestly, I don't think this will change much. <laughs> Have you ever talked to Dean Boyer or? The closest I got to Dean Boyer was seeing him lock his bike up. Yeah. But um, yeah, I, I didn't mention this in a prior episode that sometimes I, I, I'm trying to like watch his beginning of the quarter messages um, when, when they pop up. And obviously, I, I heard him at convocation. He, he had a had a nice speech on the history of the core curriculum, um, which which was a pretty pretty solid introduction to, to my college experience. I'd say, yeah. Um, as far as like officially welcoming first years to into the college, yeah. All right, Greg, we'll go back to you for a story on a new university purchase. Yeah, so this one's kind of interesting. So the university has completed the purchase of the Lutheran School of Theology at Chicago, or LSTC, and the McCormick Theological Seminary, or MTS, campuses. The agreement between the university and the two schools was first announced in May 2022 and was officially completed on March 9th, according to university spokesperson Gerald McSwiggan. The 3.5-acre property is located on the block bounded by East 55th Street, East 54th Place, South Greenwood Avenue, and South University Avenue, which is across the street from Campus North. The buildings currently on the property include approximately 172,000 gross square feet of space. LSTC was established in 1962 when four separate theological schools were consolidated into one. The school opened its Hyde Park campus in 1967. LSTC announced that they would move from their 55th Street campus to the Catholic Theological Union, located on 54th Street and South Cornell Avenue, this summer. 
MTS was founded in 1829. In 1974, the school moved from its Lincoln Park campus to Hyde Park due to declining enrollment and difficulty of maintenance. For the full, deta for the full details, see Peter Maharaj's article on the Maroons website. And obviously, this brings about speculation on what the university is going to use the building for. And there's obviously the, um, there's the chance that they do nothing and just keep, keep things as they are. Though I don't imagine that will, that will be, like, there's, there's got to be a reason they bought it. Yeah. I, I do, I have heard speculation about their uh, turning it into another dorm, but this article says otherwise. Uh, but my, my thought, which, you know, was just a passing observation was that lately there's been a lot of um, a lot of administrative push for increasing free speech dialogue and that kind of thing and maybe that's what's what's going to turn into then again it's just just an observation yeah so the university said explicitly that the purchase was not related to residential planning and McSwiggan, in a quote to in a statement to the Maroons, said, "Although a specific long-term use has not been finalized, the university anticipates the adaptive reuse of the buildings that will support its educational and research mission." That doesn't say much, but I think it most closely resembles what you're thinking of, Pravon, um, the Center for Freedom of Expression, or whatever it's called. I will take the next story on uh, development at the law school. A new report from Law Students for Climate Accountability, LSCA, shows that students at T20 colleges are pursuing fossil fuel law at higher rates than average law schools. It also suggests ways that these institutions can lower their contributions to the climate crisis. The group, composed of law students against climate change across the country, released a report on March 9th showing that elite law schools are producing fossil fuel lawyers at high rates. The report details why this phenomenon is occurring, its impact on the climate crisis, and what actions law schools and students can take to address the issue of climate change. In the report, the LSCA found that T20 law schools, per U.S. News & World Report, produce fossil fuel lawyers at over three times the rate of the average U.S. law school. The University of Texas produces the most fossil fuel lawyers at 12.9 times the rate of an average school. The University of Chicago Law School produces fossil fuel lawyers at 3.7 times the rate of an average law school, the sixth highest rate of the T20 universities. The LSCA claims that the high rate of fossil fuel lawyer production at elite law schools is harmful because these lawyers, quote, use their legal skills to advance extraction of and dependency on the primary cause of the climate crisis, fossil fuels, end quote. Specifically, these lawyers, quote, litigate to protect polluters from climate accountability lawsuits and to strike down environmental regulations. They also lobby to weaken environmental regulations, end quote. The report also offers explanations of forces that drive law students to work for fossil fuel companies. Top-ranked law schools produce disproportionately more fossil fuel lawyers because they send graduates to elite corporate law firms at high rates, states the report. It then goes on to assert that these top, quote, big law firms are often characterized by law schools as distinguished and desirable, despite also being the ones engaged by fossil fuel companies. The University of Chicago Law School declined to comment on the findings. For the full details, see Shinjanisha Chakraborty's article on the Maroon website. Any thoughts? I'm not going to law school, but this is certainly interesting. I think I'll read into the report. I'm not. I'm not planning to go to law school either. But yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't sure at first whether this was a good or a bad thing. But then, yeah, it it does it does seem a little a little strange that there these rates are so disparate amongst different prestigious prestige levels of law schools, but. I would imagine that fossil fuel laws, law, law is where the money lies, and that's probably why 
a lot of T20 law, uh, lawyers from T20 law schools end up pursuing that field. All right, we've got one more story about uh, the USG elections from Greg. Right, so polls opened to students on Wednesday and closed on Friday last week for this year's undergraduate student government elections, which brought a renewed level of competition across the ballot. After two years of uncontested races at the top of the ticket, the election cycle saw three tickets vying for president and executive vice president. Candidates for the positions debated topics such as RSO funding and the USG's role on campus at Kent Laboratory on April 11th. R.E. Stern, chair of the USG Elections and Rules Committee, moderated the debate. The uplift slate, with third-year Julia Breskovitsky running for president and first-year Elijah Jenkins running for executive vice president, introduced themselves as a duo familiar with the workings of the USG. Within the last three years, Brestovisky was a college council representative, chair of two different committees, and currently holds the position of vice president of student affairs. Jenkins has one year of experience in the USG and is a college council representative, as well as a member of other committees. Representing the Chicago For You ticket, second year presidential candidate Benjamin Voucher and third year executive vice president candidate Alexander, Nor Alexander Norton touted their status as newcomers to the realm of student government. Finally, the Golden Slate Warriors ticket is composed of third year Jefferson Lind, who is running for vice president, and second year Ariana Ukanu, who is running for executive vice president. Lind and Ukanu stated that they both have two years of experience working on the USG. Lind is the current executive vice president of the organization, and Ukanu is the vice president of advocacy. At the time of recording, the results haven't been announced, but we'll be sure to cover them next week once they are. And as always, the full details, including candidates' responses to specific questions, are up on the Marines website and an article also by Shinjini Chakraborty. Wow, so... I, I can't say I know any of these individuals personally, but I've heard their names before, and I've obviously seen their campaign posters around campus, and I I haven't really looked into their specific um, campaigns and priorities, but I'm hoping hoping that some good things will come out of it. Yeah, I mean, there have certainly been advertisements around campus. I've seen flyers. I've seen chalk. In fact, walking yeah, over here. That's a new, that's a new development. Yeah. I haven't seen that before. Yeah. Walking <laughs> over here at the center of the quad, there's like vote uplift and also in front of the reg. Um, I do know Elijah. I did um, showman with him. Um, so obviously I was partial to him. Um, but the other candidates, I wasn't, I, I, I wasn't familiar with the other candidates. I feel like we've spoken about USG before. I can't say I've ever interacted with them. Although the one thing that they have done is organize shuttles to O'Hare, which I liked. I used that my first year, although now I use the blue line. But also this year, they did some investigating with the puddles on the quad and that whole thing. And I don't know if they were responsible for like pushing the university to actually like take action and you know develop a plan to um repave the quad and and resolve its like draining drainage issues but um i appreciated the the work that they did at least um and then also they have um a new pilot program there's another story on the maroons website where they've introduced um i think menstrual products into vending machines, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, 
Uh, as far as the puddles go, recognizing the problem is the first step. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the menstrual products are great. Yeah. Of course. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm, I agree with you, or I, I, have the sh I share the same experience with you in that I don't, like, there's, there's a little bit of a, of like a, a wall in between, like, my understanding of what the USG does and what the USG actually does. But that, that, that's not to say that they're, like, not doing anything. I imagine there's several behind-the-scenes things that we don't recognize that are still on their minds a lot, and it's, it, it's good that we have them. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, we also talked about earlier in this episode what the different admins and, and right. how much they change yeah. this life. But I think we have, we have a little more connection with fellow students than with like adults and you know, seeing their, their posters around the campus and all that is, is, is much less of like a closed door. Right, yeah. There's at least the illusion of transparency and I don't I feel like my attitude towards USG is different from what it is towards the administration for the reasons you said. All right, that's uh, that's all we have for for this week. But next week we'll have a special surprise, which you will find out in a couple days. So be sure to tune in. And thank you so much for tuning in this week. I'm Pravon, and I'm Greg. And have a good rest of your week.